Hey there, Brian Dickman here with you. The Fear of the Phoenix podcast is back for a season wrap-up episode. Green Bay season came to an end Tuesday night in the first round of the Horizon League tournament with the Phoenix losing at Wright State to finish at 3-29 overall in what was uh, by far the worst season in the program's history. But uh, as usual, I've got my guy Jim Sero here with me to help talk through what has been a forgettable four months or so. But uh, Jim, how are you doing today? Very good, Brian. Looking forward to not necessarily talking about the past, but really looking forward to talking about the future of this program. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, as I mentioned at the top, Green Bay season came to an end on Tuesday at Wright State. Uh, a result that's really not too surprising, considering the Phoenix lost by 32 and 31 in the two regular season meetings. So, uh, not that I was expecting to, you know, to win a postseason game, but, uh, you know, I really thought this was probably the worst possible opponent to uh, to face in the first round. But, um, Jim, I don't think we need to spend too much time on this game or, frankly, uh, too much time you know, talking about the season in general just because that. Uh, honestly, can't say I'm too disappointed to see it come to an end. But, um, you know, before we talk about our takeaways from the season, Jim, just kind of curious to hear where your head's at and kind of what you're feeling now that the season is uh, officially over. Yeah. It- at the end, when I look back on this season, I think of, you know, the low expectations and the weight of those expectations really kind of weighted on, you know, wore some people down. Uh, definitely in the fan base, it wore people down. As for the players, I really felt like, you know, for the vast majority of games, they really came at it ready to win. It didn't matter what happened in the last game. They were ready to get back after it the next game. Um, the big takeaway I kind of have from the season itself, though, is – you know, there are places where Green Bay's roster was either deficient in experience or deficient in talent. And then the consistency that they had with the players that were available was a big issue for them. Like, you, know, you think about, um, like Brock, I think, played well against UIC and then wasn't available against IUPUI, which was shortly thereafter. Um, he played well against Kansas City, and then I don't remember him playing against St. Thomas or playing that well against St. Thomas. Like, he he dealt with some injuries. And, you know, DZ was really good against Indiana State, had a nice first half against Georgetown, and then he hurt his ankle, and he was kind of down for the count for part of the year. But, you know, down the stretch run here with Freddie in charge, he's really kind of resurrected out of nowhere. Um, Zay was in and out of the lineup. I You know, Garen had a slow start to the season, and he was really kind of cooking there in January. And, you know, the last I saw him... Uh, last week he had his knee in a giant knee brace. So like what, 
they didn't have the cards weren't dealt in their favor, and then you put all that inconsistency and who's available. It really was a a tough way for the team to to go. Um, so yeah, that's what kind of one of my takeaways. The other takeaway I have is just on the player front. Um, I thought Clarence was really good for the most part all season. He was probably what I was expecting him to be in terms of a guy that could just do a lot of things. Um, you know, kind of a jack of all trades, master of none type players. And, um, had there been, you know, more consistency in the lineup and more experience around him, I think he would really shine a lot more. And then also I thought that, uh, compared to last year, I thought Randy Tucker really came on this year, um, and had some nice games down the stretch and some consistent shooting and, and definitely looked, um, you know, all the part of a, a D1 shooting guard and, and it's not knocking Randy in any way, shape, or form, but he had a really tough first year with the program. I mean, he came out of the gates 0 for 10 shooting from deep and put himself in a hole. Then he kept fighting to get out of, but uh, this year I thought he really did a good job of digging himself out of that hole. So uh, I thought he had a really nice season for the program. What about you, Brian? What are some of the thoughts that you have? Yeah, I, I jotted down a few things here. I had Randy Tucker on there as well. You know, he really was, it, it sucks to say, but kind of one of the worst shooters in the country last year. <laughs> and, you know, this year he really became a reliable shooting threat, you know, especially over these last five, at least regular season games, he was shooting uh, 41.7% from behind the arc. So he really came on and enjoyed watching him. He's a you know, really good person too, by all accounts, him and Nate Jenkins, who was also honored on Saturday during senior night. So, I just want to throw a shout out to to the seniors. Appreciate everything they've done the past couple of years. But as far as other takeaways, you know, one thing that I noticed was there really wasn't too much change between Will Ryan and Freddie Owens as far as you know results and and numbers and things like that, which was probably you know what most people expected. They weren't gonna reinvent the wheel or, you know, install a brand new offense or anything like that in the middle of the season. But, um, you know, they were marginally better defensively and um, actually a little bit worse offensively. But a lot of it had to do with they just were shooting a lot more threes in their last 10 games. So I'm not sure if they just had more of a green light or, or what that was all about. But but obviously the highlight coming in Milwaukee beating UWM was probably a game I'll never forget. Uh, you know, just the way that you know, they won that one, all the clutch shots by Devin Ziegler down the stretch there, um, you know, celebrating at Goolsby's with getting heckled by UWM students behind us. It was just a really unforgettable night. So, um, you know, in what really didn't have a, a season of a whole lot of good memories, but that's definitely one takeaway that is going to have to stick with me for a while. <laughs> well, uh, Brian, you will never forget it. And I drank so much at Goolsby's, I don't remember it, but uh, <laughs> that was a great game. And I definitely, you know, I thought it was funny that, not funny, I thought it was Nate Jenkins when they announced him on senior night. They said his favorite memory as a Phoenix player, and he said beating Milwaukee on February 6th. So I thought that was yeah. a, a pretty cool event and a pretty cool moment for the program. Uh, and you mentioned Davin in that game. He had 18 points, which was his second highest output of the season, other than 19 he scored in the first game at Indiana State. But he was absolute money when the program needed him in that game, both at the end of regulation and at the end of overtime. Yeah. And uh, Brock Hefner tweeting 
our city or something <laughs> right after the game. Man, that that's just so good. But um, the one other takeaway I jotted down here was, you know, this experience of going eight and fifty-four. I think over the past two years. So I mean, if you think about that, that's sixty-two games, and they've only won eight of them. And I mean, that this experience is going to make us better fans. Like if you're still listening to this podcast after these last few years, um, if you're still supporting this team, watching or attending games, you're going to come out stronger as a fan after, after what we've been through. So, uh, you know, once the team starts winning again, we are going to have a much better appreciation for those wins. And, um, yeah, like I said, winning is fun and I'm just looking forward to that winning coming back. Yeah. I, I can tell you, I mean, been, I've been buying, uh, Milwaukee Bucks tickets since I was a freshman in college in 1995. <laughs> and I missed one season from 1995 to the year that they won the title. And I have traveled to about half the NBA arena as I've been, you know, going to regular season games, playoff games for a long time. And all of those, uh, deposits I put into the, the bank, <laughs> they paid off in spades when they finally won the title. <laughs> And yeah. I have that same feeling about this program. And it's, you know, for those fans that are still at the game, still doing the stuff that they do, um, they are going to really feel good about the success that's coming for this program and the wins that are going to be coming, you know, getting us back to what the program had been. And I actually feel really confident as we record this that there is a really strong opportunity to exceed where we had been as a program. You know, we had kind of kidded around about this in the past, Brian, that Green Bay had more appearances in the Horizon League tournament semifinals than any other program, but not the most appearances in the finals or the most trips to the NCAA tournament. And uh, with all the things that are going on in the athletic department to reconnect the program with the community and strengthen the position of the program overall, I really feel strongly that um, really bright days are ahead and they aren't, you know, they're not going to be when I'm in my 50s, put it that way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I, I think that's enough uh, on the season itself, unless you have any other uh, takeaways, Jim. Um, but, you know, now that the season's over and as other teams across the country are having their seasons end as well, obviously the, uh, the coaching search is going to really start heating up. And uh, I think Josh Moon and the Parker Search firm have done a pretty nice job of keeping the search secretive. Um, as annoying as that is for us fans that are, you know, starving for some kind of information. But uh, let's just dive into it a little bit, I guess, to, uh, you know, because it's fun to talk about some of these possibilities. So, but, you know, who knows if they're realistic or not, but uh, fun to talk about at least. But, uh, you know, Jim, you kind of touched on it. One thing that is definitely worth mentioning is the Ignite the Future campaign that uh, the athletic department is running and looking to raise funds for this program. And, you know, for me, number one, obviously, way overdue and necessary if we want to, um, you know, be the kind of program that uh, I think you and I agree that Green Bay is capable of having. And then number two, um, I like seeing the tangible goals, you know, like raising the coach salary from dead last to top five in the conference. Um, you know, that likely puts it in the, you know, 300 plus K range, uh, which is definitely going to help expand the candidate pool. Um, you know, especially compared to the last time around when we were having this conversation, but, uh, you know, they've also identified, you know, better nutrition program and, 
you know, something like that you think would help with recruiting and, and uh, player retention. So, Jim, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, we need money, but it's great to actually see, you know, them list out some of the things that they're trying to raise money for. Yeah, absolutely, Brian, because, you know, when you're giving to something like this, it isn't, uh, you know, we're not curing cancer here. We're, you know, so we're not doing something that's altruistic. We're, we're giving to something that you're passionate about, that you care about, that you want to see be successful. But knowing that's not just going into like a black hole of, <laughs> um, you know, operating capital that, you know, to be determined later, but it's got some, you know, things they can point and say, Hey, by getting involved in Ignite the Future, we know that we will expand our pool of candidates for the coaching position. And by doing so, having a better uh, candidate pool will likely lead to more success. I mean, this is not rocket science. The best people in any in, in any field in the industry, they want to be paid at the highest rate. Um, and, you know, the second part of that, like the, you know, the student athlete experience things like the nutrition and strength program. Um, you see that night overnight, game over game. You know, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that at the men's games, I sit very close. You can see from a, you know, physical size standpoint, <laughs> there are a lot of grown men that come into Green Bay and play against, you know, our guys. And to get our guys, you know, to look like that in the future, it isn't, um, you know, it's not just luck. It, there's work that goes into that. It's putting the right things into their body, having the right people helping them. And so having that, you know, student athlete experience and, and bettering them physically, taking young men and, you know, turning them into grown men, uh, that is a key part of how we're going to win games in the future. Because, you know, if you see Adrian Nelson, that dude is built like a brick yeah. wall. We, <laughs> Green Bay doesn't have anybody that looks like Adrian Nelson on their roster, just as an example. So that those are big things. And then, you know, the other thing I liked about the Ignite the Future is talking about like the academic bonus pool and that is something that a lot of mid majors and low majors aren't isn't even on their radar or you know talking about the nil collective that green bay has that's not happening at a lot of our peer schools these are things that can then separate green bay like we go around the league and say okay well you know we have comparable facilities or similar recruiting territories or we travel in the same way that everybody else does so what else is there well having, you know, opportunities for the players to capitalize on their success off the court and their brand off the court is a big differentiator. And so the fact that they're working on all of these things really gives me a lot of hope for the future of Green Bay basketball um, because Green Bay basketball has had success. And now there's some things that because we have engaged people that care about this, that they can actually put their money and effort into that will help the program be that much more successful in the future. Yeah, all good points. Really exciting initiative, and um, sounds like they're having some early success with it. So hopefully that continues here as we go a little bit further along in the coaching search. So, all right, obviously uh, the next topic has to be some names then, right? You know, I know, Jim, when you and I last chatted, uh, we had a few names, but let's take a little deeper dive into some of them and what they could potentially bring to the program. And, you know, the first one we got to talk about is a guy that I don't think we even mentioned in our last pod because, you know, we weren't really sure, you know, if he's realistic or not and still might not be. But apparently there's some mutual interest between Green Bay and Northwest Missouri State head coach Ben McCollum, according to Scott Vency of the Press Gazette, at least. But, you know, Jim, this, this is clearly the number one guy on everyone's radar, you know, for every mid-major opening. So 
we'll call it our moonshot in honor of our fearless athletic director. But, you know, the search starts and stops here if there truly is mutual interest, right? I, I think that, you know, when you think about Coach McCollum and all that he's achieved, he is definitely the, as we, you and I have kidded around about, he is uh, basketball Viagra for ailing fan bases. <laughs> you know, he, he is the guy that is going to, you know, bring excitement to, um, you know, what kind of validate the excitement that I have and that the program is trying to build with the Ignite the Future. He's the guy that on day one, you know, validates all that. So um, we mentioned it in passing on the last podcast, but only you know, from a standpoint of like, here's a, a guy who's had lots of opportunities to move up and hasn't. So what's going to be the thing that gets him to maybe consider a Green Bay uh, was kind of, you know, why we maybe brushed over him a little bit. But from every everybody you talk to that cares about this program, this is the number one guy. If they could, you know, write a check and make it happen, this is who they would go after. Um, I did a few like pros and cons for every coach that we're going to talk about. And so I thought, you know, when you think about the pros for Coach McCollum, um, you know, he's a, a winner for the last five D2 titles, I believe, are at Northwest Missouri State. And they were having a really good year during the COVID year where it was canceled. So it's likely they could have won another one. Um, you know, so you have that sustained, sustained success. This is not somebody who got lucky with a player you know had one good player one high level d1 guy playing in d2 or something like that this is a guy who's had sustained success with multiple players and several of those players have grad transferred on to be successful you know at the high major or mid-major d1 level uh from a style of play perspective i had mentioned on the last podcast that i don't really care what style they play for me but i care about what style they play for um for the kids that we possibly recruit, I would say that having watched some Northwest Missouri state games, they they overall play a fun style play a a style that, you know, allows guys to have some creativity um, with the ball, but you know, there is some discipline behind it. It's not run and gun, take the first available shot. It is work to get, you know, drive the ball and get to the rim. And if you can't get to the rim, then kick to an open shooter. So everybody needs to be able to, um, shoot here um, if you're going to play for Ben McCollum. And then, you know, from a personality standpoint, um, he comes across as a Green Bay kind of guy. Just a, you know, good people. People always say, oh, there's great people in the Midwest. Uh, he feels like the kind of guy that's going to fit right in with Green Bay. Like, not too big time, not too, not too flashy, not too, you know, not too good for the fine folks in, in Green Bay who are just looking for a guy that like is like them. That's what they want to root for, somebody who's like them. So those are some of the pros I had for Ben. Uh, the downside, when you look at him, like you need to be successful in his system. You need guys that can shoot across the you know all five positions. So like a guy like Cade, who doesn't have the best outside shot, may not be a good fit. Not not that we want to keep a or hire a coach based on the kids that we have, but the idea of you're going to need to be able to get a big second space to the court like Brock is probably really valuable you know, in the future if we have a coach McCollum. Cade would probably have to work on his um you know shooting skills to be able to be super valuable. But at the end of the day Getting dudes that are at the D2 level to go to Northwest Missouri State is pretty easy when you are, have a program built like he has built. 
getting the same level of guy that can be successful in the Horizon League might be a little bit more work considering you're any guys who are skilled enough to put it on the floor and drive to the paint, but then also everybody has to be able to shoot the ball from the three, at least based on what I can see. So um, I, I feel pretty confident he'd be the guy, but it's still not like a slam dunk when you transition from one level to the next that you'd be able to get the, the kind of guys that you need at the level you're going to be at. So do you have any other thoughts about Ben? Yeah, I just I just had a you know I jotted down here. Um, you know, you kind of mentioned the offense that they run, and I just you know can that work at the D one level? But um, I did read a quote or listen to a podcast or something with him on it, and he had a, a quote that said, "We don't have the luxury to recruit what we want to run, so we have to run what we, what we have recruited." And that made me think like, okay, you know, he's got a little bit of flexibility. He's not really like stuck in his ways. He's gonna kind of you know run for the players that he he has on his roster so you know that's just a quote that i thought was was relevant especially coming to a a program like the state that green bay is in right now the other thing i jotted down here is they play the second slowest pace in all of division two which i thought was interesting um but obviously super efficient both on offense and defense and shoot a lot of threes but they make a lot of threes so um yeah, you kind of mentioned it. He's he's obviously number one on the list. <laughs> we'll see how things go, I guess. But um, I guess we can move on and, and talk about some other guys on the list here. Um, the second one I, I jotted down is John Tharp, the head coach at Hillsdale College in Michigan, uh, Wisconsin native, I believe from Sheboygan, um, coached at Lawrence as well in Appleton. You know, stylistically a little bit similar to uh, to what they're running at Northwest Missouri State. They play a little bit of a slower style. But um, what what have you got on, on John Tharp there, Jim? This is definitely another guy that's going to have that, you know, Green Bay community feel, you know, kind of that hometown guy. I think, you know, somebody that the community would like to get, you know, behind from a standpoint of you'd have to assume that uh, Coach Fritzel would be part of the coaching staff and, Going forward, if you had uh, Coach Tharp, that might give you a better opportunity to retain some of the players that are on the existing roster or committed to the future, you know, roster if you have uh, Coach Pritzel. Um, you know, the style of play that um, Hillsdale uses would be aesthetically pleasing for your traditional basketball fans. Um, it isn't, you know, get the ball to somebody and get out of the way. It is, you know... <laughs> It's more like the Bellerman style. You see those videos once in a while on Twitter where they show, you know, the zero dribble offense, <laughs> like, you know, guys moving off the ball and then, you know, it's passing and cutting and finding open people. So I think like people would like that stylistically. Um, the hard part that I have with Coach Tharp as a, as a potential candidate is, uh, you know, that same style, the highest level D1 players maybe you want to put the ball on the floor and make plays, you know, so does that style of basketball transition more, you know, to the type of kids that you need to be able to compete so you can play defense, you know, against more athletic players, you're going to need to have, a, you know, better, more talented players on offense as well. Um, you know, and will they want to come for a style that doesn't allow them to do some of the things that, they see at the highest levels of, you know, professional basketball. So that's a little bit of a concern. Um, You know, a couple other things I was thinking about with him, like you have a really good sustained progression of 
success in terms of like at Lawrence built that up, did well, took over Hillsdale, built that up and has done well. Hasn't broken through and had like a, you know, national championship that I'm aware of. Uh, so like in the past, like Link Darner came here as the reigning, uh, D2 champion coach. You know, Tharp hasn't had that level of success yet. Um, at Hillsdale, I'm not sure how much they've, I know they've lost good players to the portal. I don't know how many they brought in from the portal. So that's like a big thing right now. It's like, you know, can you get kids from the portal? Can you build those relationships in a short period of time and bring in, you know, really talented players? Because we, we have now seen this year in particular, Youngstown State team, uh, it, their main pieces were new. They were older, more experienced, bigger guys. And, um, you know, there's something to be said for that, uh, more so than I ever wanted to admit in the past. And same thing with Milwaukee. You know, they have a whole team of new guys that came in. Um, you know, Ahmad Rand, as an example, defensive player of the year in the Horizon League, uh, was a fifth year player on his fourth school, you know, that they had a relationship with. So got to have, can you get people out of the portal? Uh, the other thing too is that Hillsdale, if you look at the progression of Hillsdale, it took a while to get that going. It wasn't like it was successful out of the gate. And so we're sitting here, you know, with three years that were less desirable as fans and the interest has waned. And that's coming on the heels of interest waning under Coach Darner. Is the community willing to wait two, three, four years for, you know, John Tharp to build it back up? And I don't know the answer to that, but those are just some of the, you know, pros and cons of, uh, for him as a potential coach. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, he also, like you mentioned, he would be, uh, he'd fit the bill of like Green Bay people kind of, uh, you know, like he'd, it'd be a seamless transition that way. But yeah, like you said, we'll, we'll see if he hasn't really had the success that we're looking for or most mid majors look for at the D2 level when they're um, looking for a coach to make the jump. So, um, but definitely a guy I think that'll, you know, get an interview and, and, uh, be involved in the process. So. Uh, another guy that's a good bet to at least get an interview is Jimmy Foster, the assistant coach at the newly crowned regular season champion Bradley Braves. Uh, he is a Milwaukee native, obviously has a lot of success recruiting in uh, Chicago and Milwaukee. He was here in Green Bay as an assistant for five years under Brian Wardle, so you know, he knows what it takes to win in Green Bay, and he's seen firsthand that it is possible to win in Green Bay, which you know, for the last few years, we, some people might need a, a reminder of that, that it is possible. You know, the other thing I, I have jotted down here, he's never been a, a head coach as far as I can tell. But, you know, being an assistant under Wardle for so long, you at least think he has that defense first mindset, which I kind of think is the direction that we need to go. But just curious to get your thoughts on, on Jimmy Foster. Yeah, I mean, here's a guy that, you know, definitely is a fit from a personal perspective, like uh, anytime I've ever had an opportunity to speak with him, he's been really fun and engaging and, and the people here definitely would like, you know, they liked him the first time around and I think they'd be reminded quickly that they would like him again. Um, you know, skill development has really been his thing. There's a significant track record of skill development. You think about here in green Bay, you had McKinney and Alec Brown, um, you know, really go on to have, very nice professional careers and, and grow in their skills. You see down at, um, down at Bradley, a guy like Rink Mast who you know, has been awesome for them. And my understanding is that Foster is one of the primary, you know, guys working with the bigs 
for Bradley. You alluded to it as well, Brian. Uh, Coach Wardle's mantra was CDR, compete, defend, and rebound. And I'd have to imagine Coach Foster is going to bring that back to Green Bay. And that that is a style that, that travels, especially as the season wears on, as things get more tense. I, you know, it's no coincidence to me that Bradley has won two um, Missouri Valley um, conference tournaments because when tournament games get going, it's hard to run and gun. You know, teams are going to clench up a little bit, and that CDR mantra really, I think, not only would resonate with the fans, but um, it does win games when it really matters. A couple things that I think about that, you know, if you have Coach Foster taking over, obviously you allude to no head coaching experience. All of his experience right now is at the mid-major level with Coach Wardle. So sometimes when people haven't seen a lot of other things, you know, do they, to your point about Coach McCollum, like we coach what we have as opposed to the style we want to play all the time. Well, if you only know one thing, do you know how to make the uh, adjustment? And I'm not saying Coach Foster doesn't, doesn't know how to do it. It's something you have to think about. And then the other thing, when you have a young, younger guy taking over as a head coach for the first time, I really feel like the staff would need to be excellent. So that's where we're kind of going back to the Ignite the the Future campaign. And we're going to need the resources to hire really good people to surround him so that he, you know, has the best opportunity to succeed. Um, so there's some things to think about there. But obviously, uh, a guy who has been here before and knows what it takes. It's just a matter of can he make that transition from the second chair to the first one. Yeah, and I heard a interview with um, with uh, Josh Moon couple weeks ago and um he was asked if you know having ties to green bay will affect your or like you know matter in the decision making process and he said something along the lines of you know it doesn't hurt but it's it's not you know a necessity or anything like that so um but yeah I, i think that just having been here before that would definitely help his his candidacy so let's talk about a guy that's a little bit of a dark horse, um, Ryan Thompson, the head coach at Division Two Black Hill State in Spearfish, South Dakota. Hey, I know an athletic director that came from a Division Two school in South Dakota. <laughs> um, but uh, Thompson is a Wisconsin native from Viroqua out in western Wisconsin. Viroqua? Viroqua? I'm not sure how you pronounce that. But um, he's off to a 24-4 and start this year. They went 26 and 8 last year when they lost to Northwest Missouri State in the Final Four. So 99 and 39 overall in his five seasons up there. You know, middle of the pack tempo wise, they shoot almost half of their shot attempts are threes, which is kind of crazy. But um, they are one of the better rebounding teams in the country. Just kind of curious your thoughts on this bit of a dark horse candidate, but I mean, there's there's some you know pieces there that say, hey, this could actually make sense. Yeah, so one of the things that um, when I think about him, there I've watched. I recently watched a game against Northwest Missouri State in the Final Four last year, and so it was interesting that that particular game there was a lot of Dick Bennett influence in that particular game. So yeah, there was the threes, but there was also a tremendous amount of like you know putting your blockers in place to then get the ball, you know, get somebody in the post and, and get the ball scoring close to the rim as well. And so they had a guy uh, just absolutely go, you know, nuts last year, a, a bigger guy. I can't think of his name right now, but he, he was one of their main players. He was like 6'7", you know, 220, playing in D3, and he, he scored at the hoop. Like, he got some – it was one of those things where it's like, 
how's this guy get to the hoop every time? And yet they figured out a way to get him, you know, two feet from the basket with the ball yeah. and single coverage. And so a guy like Cade would kick ass and take names playing for Ryan Thompson based on what I could see in uh, video. But something I thought was pretty interesting when you look at their, you know, I can't pretend to know where uh, Spearfish, Fish, South Dakota is, but I know this. On their team right now, they've got guys from North Carolina, New York, Serbia, Texas, and some of the regional states, you know, that are around there, Nebraska, Iowa, uh, a bunch of guys from Colorado. But why I bring that up is something when you think about recruiting, a guy from Harlem is their one of their best players. So he obviously has some relatable skills, one of their, their second best players, a, a point guard from Texas. So he's definitely seems to have an ability to recruit a wide variety of players from a wide variety of places. And I think that it would bode well coming to the D1 level where you have to be able to get guys. I mean, at the end of the day, we can get kids that we like, but our kids need to be better than the kids on the other team. It's the, if your Johnnies are better than, if our Johnnies are better than their Joes, we're going to have a better chance to win the game. And uh, I kind of dig that, you know, Coach Thompson has a little history of getting guys from all over the freaking place. Um, on the downside, you know, five years in D2, that's not a ton of experience. Hasn't won the title yet uh, in D2. So, you know, you can't necessarily – and he hasn't gotten to the title game either. So it's kind of one of those things where you're like, you know, will this really, you know, transition? And then uh, I would describe him as, like, definitely a modest personality, definitely a Wisconsin personality. But from a standpoint of, you know, we need to be winning over the community and winning over uh, players, like, you know, I'm sure he can do that. But I, you know, I watched a couple of interviews and I was like, oh, he seems like a nice guy, but it wasn't one of those things where you're like, here's the, you know, here's the beacon of light in the, in the room. So, um, yeah, not that that's totally a knock, but just he didn't come across the same way as some of the other guys we've talked about in terms of, um, you know, kind of the off the court mingling with donors, uh, type setup. So, but yeah, yeah Ryan Thompson is definitely an interesting candidate for sure. Yeah, one thing that I thought was interesting is that um, Black Hills State joined Division Two back in 2013. So this is a school that doesn't really have any basketball history or like any kind of athletic history, really. Um, you know, at least at the Division Two level. So he is. It sounds like you know pretty much built it from the ground up, which is kind of cool. And it, like you said, I noticed that on the roster too. Like they got guys from all over the place, which. Um, you know, there's probably a few things in common between South Dakota and Green Bay, so <laughs> um, definitely worth noting. A few more names we've got jotted down here. Um, this is another one of those where, you know, not sure if it's realistic or not, or, you know, it's their mutual interest, or, um, but just honestly worth the discussion because he's available and he's had a lot of success, especially in the Horizon League, but it's John Brannon. Uh, the guy who completely turned around Northern Kentucky from, you know, when they were transitioning from Division Two to Division One, he he really got it going off the ground. You know, he had two teams in the top 100 during his uh, time at uh, NKU. He's had success recruiting Wisconsin. He landed uh, Marcus Domask, who uh, ultimately ended up uh, Southern Illinois instead after he left for Cincinnati. But um, you know, he he had him signed and ready to go there. Uh, he had the Madsen twins from Spooner, Wisconsin on the roster at Cincinnati. So 
you know, he's got some got some chops recruiting the state. You know, he wouldn't be the splashiest hire, but he does have that successful pedigree, which I think is, you know, it's worth something. And, uh, you know, there there were some issues, it sounded like, you know, basically sounded like bullying a little bit at Cincinnati. I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but it's kind of relevant considering what happened, you know, about a decade ago with, with uh, Coach Wardle. But um, as far as Brandon, the issue was settled in court, just kind of something I think we need a little bit more detail on before, you know, making a hire like that. But um, as far as the on-the-court results, it was, you know, really good at NKU. Off to a decent start at Cincinnati, but um, now he's, I believe he's at Dayton as a special assistant, but um, yeah, definitely a guy who could potentially be available if Green Bay wanted to go that route. You know, absolutely. Like, there's a guy that, you know, probably can't get back into a head coaching position based on what happened at Cincinnati, which I've read a whole bunch of articles on The Athletic, and I would tell you, based on the way The Athletic portrayed everything, it was not as bad as people thought, but that there may be a little bit of like, mm, you know, a division in the locker room and he wasn't able to unite, um, you know, the guys back together and, and kind of get everybody working on the same page. So like maybe a little, maybe a little old school, too old school for that level of basketball is kind of uh, the way that the article came across um, to me at least. But because of that, there is a little taint on what was otherwise a very sterling record. And so, you know, it probably gives an opportunity for a guy like that who was doing very well and he was making, you know, a couple million dollars a year at Cincinnati. He got paid a lump sum of money from Cincinnati after, you know, he was terminated. So that tells me that it wasn't nearly as bad as they initially said because they had to go back and pay him uh, when they tried not to. But for him to get a head coaching job, this is probably the level he might have to look at. Um, you know, at Northern Kentucky, they played really, you know, they paid, they didn't play as fast as Link Darner played, but they played fast and had a really free-flowing offense. You had guys like Drew McDonald, you know, that could shoot. He was a big high school recruiter and developing guys over time, which was a strategy that I think fans would like to see here. Um, you know, it's interesting at, at Dayton, it's they, they don't have a dynamic offense. They are just, like, physically imposing, play really good defense, and so I'd be curious if he was able to pick up any of that so you could actually, you know, have the have the program, uh, if he was some coach at Green Bay, you know, not just be, you know, trying to run and gun and outscore people. Because as much as I don't mind that, some fans are leery of that running, you know, that up-tempo with no defense um, type of style of basketball in the in our marketplace. So, um, but yeah, definitely an intriguing candidate. And I think that, um, you know, getting that settlement with Cincinnati probably goes a long way to making him more employable than not. And then having a year at Dayton now where he hasn't had any problems uh, and they've had a very successful team that probably also helps, but uh, definitely seems like a guy that this job would be a good fit for. Yeah. He's definitely had success in the horizon league. So, um, yeah, that would, that would help. So Jim, we've come to the point where, we get to put on our athletic director hats and you know, if Ben McCollum's not available, then the question becomes, okay, who's, who's the guy that you want? So put you on the spot here. You had to make the decision and Ben's not answering your phone call. Who's your guy? So as we, as we do this, I, I'm offering this, 
this pick with uh, two caveats on it, actually. One, assuming that they would be interested, right? Like, So we have no clue <laughs> who's really interested in this stuff, right? <laughs> so I'm only operating from the Green Bay perspective of like, hey, if I could go get somebody, this is the guy I would get. And two, when I thought about like, there are a lot of people that I like that I think would kick the tires on this uh, opportunity. But like the guy who I like the most, I don't think because of where they, you know, live and where they have all their experience, like moving to Wisconsin seems a little far, like too far fetched for our hypothetical scenario. So the next pick on my list is Laval Jordan. When I think about Laval Jordan and why I would like to see him have the opportunity or be, you know, would be excited if he was interested in the opportunity. I mean, number one, you have two things that are important. One, he has worked in the Horizon League, so he's been around this block. He is familiar with what it would take to win in this league, both as a player and then as a coach at UWM, he had the one season there. And then you compare that with the high major experience. So he has a little bit, especially since he's only one year removed from that, his name is in the circles that, you know, high major players who maybe, you know, looked at Butler, but went somewhere else might come back to him, you know, in the portal. So I kind of like that high major experience and he has been to the NCAA tournament. He has won a game at the NCAA tournament uh, he had another year, the COVID year, where they would have made the NCAA tournament and been in position to get a good enough seed to win a game. So this is a guy that kind of knows what he's doing. Uh, you're also talking about a guy with, you know, some polish, you know, so this is somebody the community is going to really like. Uh, this is somebody who is going to be able to go into, you know, the offices and buildings of our donors and, you know, help explain to them the story and the vision for Green Bay basketball. But the flip side of that, it's not just about people who write checks. It is about the kids that put the uniforms on, and we never want to lose sight of that. And I think this is the type of person that has the leadership skills that are needed for this job. You know, it is at the end of the day, this is a job that is geared around working with young men somewhere between the age of 18 and depending on if they're in their sixth year of college basketball, 24. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this is a job that is about working with young men and growing them and leading them and being a mentor and a role model for them. And you would be, it would be hard to convince me that there are better leaders and role models for young men than LaBelle Jordan. Um, so those are some of the things that, you know, I think about as for him and why I would love if, if you were interested to be the guy, assuming that some of the other guys like McCollum wasn't interested. Uh, when I think about some of the things that like, you put on the con side, well, there's none. This is my pick. I don't have anything. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding around. I, you know, when I think about cons, like you have to adjust the style, like, you know, old school Butler basketball may not be relevant to kids today. You know, I was talking to somebody about this, like my, one of my best friends, he coaches his nine-year-old, and they play five-out motion offense at nine years old. So my point is kids, you know, want they're, – they're getting coached to play a different way of basketball now. Um, you know, all kids need to be able to shoot threes. All kids need to be able to play on the perimeter. Like um, some of the things that worked for Butler back in the day maybe weren't relevant. We've, now we've seen, you know, Laval Jordan wasn't having the most success the last two years. Um at Butler, Thad Mata didn't have that much success at Butler this year. So, like, can he adjust the style and, um, you know, go from there? The other thing, Butler has more resources than Green Bay, but in the pecking order of the Big East, 
Butler's level compared to everybody else is about where Green Bay's level is compared to, you know, the rest of the Horizon League. So, you know, that's why Ignite the Future is important so we can bridge that gap. But at the end of the day, is there something that kept him from succeeding that, you know, you know, when he wasn't the most best resource program? Like when Butler was whooping ass in the Horizon League, they were the best resource program in the league. Um, is there something that they were missing that, you know, was it just structurally that they couldn't get over? Or is there something in him that he wasn't doing well enough to uh, to be successful in the Big East? So just something to think about because Green Bay isn't the number one resource program, even if Ignite the Future takes off or still not going to be the number one resource program in the Horizon League. But, yeah, Laval would be the guy when I think about people who are in the area, who have a connection to the job and to the, the league and are available to work. Um, he would be the type of guy I would love to see get the job. What about you, Brian? Do you have any thoughts about either him or somebody else? Yeah, I, I, I've been joking with you that, you know, anybody with any kind of association with UWM, I, I'm kind of, you know, gives me a little bit of a pause. So I, I know it was only that one year, but uh, just gives me a little bit of pause. That's all. But, uh, you know, for me, I, I still think I would prefer a guy with head coach experience that has had success preferably sustained success, you know, especially considering where we're at as a program right now, can't really afford to, to take a gamble and get it wrong. But, um, you know, that being said, I, I think a guy like J.R. Blunt checks a lot of boxes for me. You know, he's a, a young up and coming high major assistant. I, th- I think he's in his mid thirties. So he'll, he'd be able to, you know, relate to players today better than a lot of these older guys would be able to, you know, he, he knows the Horizon League kind of like you said about Laval, but, um, you know, granted, Blunt played at Loyola, you know, back in 2005 through 2009. So a little bit of a, a, a different league now than it was back then, but, you know, there at least, at least there is some familiarity there. He's a Milwaukee native, so he'd be able to recruit the state, uh, recruit the state. He's had success recruiting Chicago now, uh, at Iowa State. I think a really big thing for me is, you know, when you think about the transfer portal, Iowa State has been linked with like every single player that has ever entered the transfer portal. So, I mean, they've had a lot of success navigating the transfer portal. And I think that's a really relevant thing this time around. We've seen the transfer portal take away. It's time to have the transfer portal give to Green Bay a little bit. So, you know, another thing I jotted down here there. Iowa State uh, top 10 in defensive efficiency in each of their the past two seasons while he's been there. So, I mean, those are those are all positives for me for uh, for JR. But obviously a couple of question marks like no head coaching experience. You know, how, how would he be able to handle it in the top chair? We don't really know. Um, you know, Daniel Robinson did pretty well at Cleveland State this year as uh, his first time as a head coach since leaving Iowa State. But uh uh, and it's not like he inherited a bunch of good players at Cleveland State either. So maybe that works in JR's favor. Who knows? But another question mark for me, uh, how would he be in the community as a fundraiser? Another thing that I just I genuinely don't know. Um, but I do know we need somebody that's got a little bit of a used car salesman in them to, to try and you know sell this program and, and fundraise and things like that. I just I genuinely don't know if, if that's what he is. Um, I'm sure if he does get an interview, he'll, that'll be one of the questions he gets is how how would you be in the community? But, um, yeah, I, I guess, you know, it, it would definitely be a gamble. 
Could he be the next Dennis Gates? Or is he, you know, a meh? Is he a, like a Luke Yaklich? Or, or is it even worse? Is it Bakari Alexander? You know, like with, with high major assistance, you, you never really know what you're going to get until, <laughs> until you're in it for a few years. So, um, but, uh, yeah. Any other names you want to chat about, Jim? I mean, obviously not a, a comprehensive list and, you know, who knows if there's any mutual interest with a lot of these guys that we've talked about. But, um, yeah, just any other names off the top of your head? No, I'm, I think, uh, this is a really good, you know, stopping point for the names, at least as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I'm I understand that there's 10 plus people that are probably going to get an interview. You know, that's normally how this type of process works. You know, it's kind of thinking like you got to start with a big funnel and like whittle it down. If you only start with two or three names, it's hard to have a comparison. So you're probably going to have 10 plus people interview. It's, it's really hard to know who is interested in this. Um, you know, and who, and the athletic department, to your point way earlier in this episode, you know, they have done a fantastic job of, uh, of keeping this very quiet. <laughs> I've tried so hard. Uh, you know, I'm literally like willing to play the guilt card. Like the, yeah, I drove up here in a snowstorm on Thursday night from Milwaukee, like throw a dog <laughs> a bone kind of thing. Yeah. But, uh, I didn't quite get there, but I was ready to. Um, but they really did a great job of keeping it secret. So it's hard to know, you know, the names, but I think the, the big thing, is you're going to have just a, you know, definitely a mix of people. You, you know, the, they're because of the Ignite the Future and because of the direction that Josh sees the department going in, you're probably going to have some guys that worked at the high major level that didn't make it and might need to come down a level. You're definitely going to have some people that, you know, have D2 experience that are trying to get up, have had success and are trying to get up a level. You're going to have mid major assistants and high major assistants like that are, Saying I'm ready for my my opportunity, I I just feel good that at the end of this we're gonna get somebody that you know all of us will look at and go, yeah, that's the guy. I feel good about that. I, I really don't think we're gonna be sitting here in two or three weeks doing the pod when we talk about who gets hired and going, how the hell did this happen? You know, who the hell is this guy? Like I don't <laughs> feel like that's gonna be the world that we're in at all. I really feel like we're gonna have um, you know a good coach and like we might not have the right names, but we have the right type of names with what we just talked about. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one of the beauties of using a search firm is you can be a little more proactive and, you know, approach guys instead of just relying on, on who, you know, or, or who's applying for the job. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of nice. They can be a little more proactive and actually going after guys who, you know, maybe they wouldn't have thought about putting their name in the hat for this job. So, but, um, you know, as far as timeline, Jim, you know, this is one of the first jobs that became available. Do you think they'll be one of the first to fill the vacancy or are we still going to be talking about this, uh, you know, like a month from now? Because I'm getting impatient. <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like the timeline's going to work for Green Bay. I feel pretty confident in that right now. And the reason I feel that way is you still haven't had that many jobs open yet. Like a lot of schools, like very few have gone the route of making the in-season move. And so there's just a little momentum, like for the people that they're talking to that like you get to a certain point in the process. And then it's like any other job that you apply for Like, you know, you or I applying for a job at a certain point in the process, you see yourself doing that job. Like even if it wasn't what you thought you would be doing, you kind of like get invested in it. You get going and it would take a guy, you know, whoever the person is to go through the whole process 
And then at the last minute, be like, oh, well, Valparaiso's open. I want to start over and talk to those people now before I decide. I kind of feel like we're going to have somebody you know, here in the next two weeks or so because they've you know built the funnel. They've talked to the people, all the people that, you know, because they have the search firm. You know, those are people that are saying, yeah, I, I would take this job. I would I would go to this opportunity if I had it. And, yes, something else might come up, you know, that might be appealing. But I think for the most part, they're going to have enough good people in the funnel that even if somebody drops out because they're going to wait for the next thing that opens, there'll be two or three equally qualified people to replace them. So I, I'm kind of feeling like, you know, mid-March. I thought it was interesting. I, I shared this with you and a couple other people, you know, uh, last year, Coach Lundy, I think his season ended on like March 14th or 15th, and he was announced as the UWM coach on like March 19th, if I, if I remember correctly from what I saw, and the dates and time stamps on the articles announcing him. Well, the point I'm sharing is I have a really hard time believing that he didn't talk to anybody until his season ended. So that's why, you know, there are going to be people who are active, who are working this year, who are on winning programs. They're going to have interest in this job, and I feel pretty good that we're going to get one of them. Well said. I love it. So that was our conversation on the coaching search. Uh, we'll see how it goes, but like you said, uh, hopefully at the end of this, you know, we get the uh, the Jeff Goodman types. Not that their opinion matters, but um, you know, we get their their take saying, "How the heck did they pull that off?" That would just be so awesome. So, uh, but before you get out of here, Jim. We've got to make our Horizon League tournament predictions for uh, what I lovingly call Marion County Madness, since uh, the event is catered basically to the uh, greater Indianapolis area um, with the Monday-Tuesday format currently. But uh, just kind of curious to to see where you're at. Um, Obviously, our Phoenix are not there, but who do you think will be the one representing the Horizon League in the NCAA tournament? Uh, Youngstown State is my pick, and I think that if Youngstown State gets a good seed, that is a team that can win a NCAA tournament game. Like, that's a 15 seed that I don't think some teams are going to play. I really like watching Youngstown State. Hold on, I gotta rewind. I almost said I really like watching Youngstown State basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm just kidding. I really do. I think they have, their team is loaded. They've got big guys. They don't have height necessarily, but they've got bulk. They've got perimeter scoring. They play a style that's really hard to stop. And uh, unless they're having a bad day or playing Robert Morris late in the season, uh, I think that they're going <laughs> to, I think that they're the, they're the team. And, you know, I could kind of easily see a Youngstown Northern Kentucky title game. Um, that's kind of what I'm thinking. And, you know, I love Northern Kentucky and they're, you know, the, what they do on defense and, and they have one of the most dynamic players in the league in Marquez Warwick, but Youngstown is loaded. I mean, they're just, I think their team's loaded. What do you see, Brian? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got to eat some crow on Youngstown state. Cause I, I just truly never believed I would ever see Youngstown state be, you know, a competent, never mind a championship team in the horizon league. So, um, I'm actually pulling for them because I don't, I believe they've never made the NCAA tournament, uh, in their D1 history. So that would be cool to see. Uh, beginning of the year, I picked NKU. I'm going to stick with that, even though they've been a little, uh, you know, 
up and down lately, but you know, I, I like their team. Uh, I like their coach, you know, they're, was it two hours away from Indy? So they should be able to get some fans there. So I'm going to pick Northern Kentucky over Youngstown state. And uh, yeah, we'll see that. That would be a good final. That's for sure. But, um, you know, it's interesting what I had said before about, we're talking about coach Foster about that, um, you know, CDR and, and how that kind of like that wins games. I mean, that's kind of what NKU does, you know, they just grind you down to a pulp, you know, they don't give up a lot of points and, and, uh, Youngstown, their whole thing is offense. And so those, it would, that would be a really good finals. Like that is polar opposite teams kind of, you know, locking horns. I would, I can't say I would drive to Indy on short notice for that, but I certainly <laughs> would watch from my couch with my big TV. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, because something I said in the in the preseason preview, Brian, and I really believe this. I said this to you privately recently. The best teams do something really well. You know, you think about Houston. You think about we talked about Bradley. You, you know, think about the defense that they play, and then you think about like uh, Marquette or Toledo and the offense that they play. Like the best teams in the country or the best teams in the mid major level, they have to do something exceedingly well. I didn't realize that Youngstown would be one of the best offensive teams. And uh, Northern Kentucky's defense isn't that highly rated in terms of, you know, if you use Ken Palm, you know, metrics, they're uh, number 120 in defensive efficiency. But they don't play fast. They're 357 in tempo. They're only 235 in offense. Their defense is their calling card. And so I think that, that pitting that offense versus defensive matchup would be really good for, um, for you know, the title game. Yeah, and it is worth noting that if the tournament is chalk, they would actually meet in the semifinal, which would be a real shame. So uh, hopefully somebody gets upset. But um, yeah, you know what? I'm just looking at that. I you know just look at the brackets. Like I actually hate that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean the the way that they you know the reseeding and all that stuff. Yeah. If the basketball gods love us in any way, shape, or form, they will give us NKU versus Youngstown in that championship game. Yep. On ESPN, that would be great. So before we get out of here, uh, Jim, anything else to add? Yeah. So there's uh, two quick things I wanted to talk about. One is for the all of us fans. Uh, in April, the biggest fundraiser, the biggest fundraising event for the athletic department takes place in April. It's the Steak Fry. It is a really great opportunity to meet other Phoenix fans, to meet student athletes, to meet coaches of all the sports. It is kind of an event that, you know, I don't want to say you can't be a Phoenix fan if you don't attend, but it's something that if you really want to be an engaged Phoenix fan, got to be there. So we got to figure out a way to get, you know, 10 of our uh, Fear the Phoenix listeners to come with us to, you know, so we need eight more people besides you and me. So we can get, you know, 10 of us there and kind of, you know, just show our support for the program, not just online or via social media, but also in a, um, you know, in-person financial commitment with um, going to the steak fry. So that is, I believe, like April 21st or something like that. And it's an awesome event. It's the Lambeau Field Atrium. So that's my one. And number two, and I don't know if he'll hear this, but I'm putting it out there anyway. Josh Boone, because you've kept everything top secret, because you're holding us, keeping me up at night, thinking about what could be and who will be the next coach, you have to let us break the hire. You have to let PTP 
break the hire. It has to happen. You know, <laughs> we're, we, we need to be able to be the people, not Jeff Goodman, not Rob Dowster, not anybody that doesn't care about the Horizon League or Green Bay basketball. You have to let Brian Dickman and Jim Saro break the hire. There, I've said it. I'm putting it into the world. Let's make it happen. <laughs> I'm in. In your face, Scott Vensey. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he works hard at it too. He can break the hire, but yeah. No, no, you put it out there. We need to be spoon fed. Let's go. But uh, no, that's a great shout. Uh, good talking with you, Jim. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. This was a, a good conversation on the, the coaching search. And unfortunately, you know, it's never fun when when the season ends. But um, you know, it's it's exciting to think about. Uh, the possibilities and and where this program is headed. So uh, thanks again for listening. I'm sure we'll be back soon once we break the news of who the next head coach will be. But um, make sure you follow, in the meantime, at Jim Saro on Twitter and thank him for all of his give and goes this year. That was was great content, Jim, so thank you for doing that, taking the time to do that. But uh, follow me on Twitter if you want, at Brian Dickman. Follow at Fear the Phoenix. Let's get eight more people to join us at the Steak Fry. And, uh, you know, shoot me a message if you're interested, and and, uh, we'll get it set up. But um, until next time, we will talk to you soon. Bye.